It goes back to two things. A, how quickly do you want to monetize these users? Because with trials, you have a limited uh, time and you tend to have higher conversion rates. So it's normal to see 10 to 20% conversion rate um, from the free trial, where with freemium, you can have millions of users on your platform using it for free in order for you to have a sustainable business that's growing. Uh, freemium models remain unprofitable for a very long time. It goes back to your go-to-market strategy and also your fundraising strategy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Ivan Makarov, VP Finance at Webflow. Webflow is the way to design, build, and launch powerful websites visually without coding. Yvonne is an experienced finance executive with over 15 years of professional experience in the internet industry building finance teams and functions inside global tech companies. He has served as a VP of finance for SmugMug and Flickr for a period of eight years prior to joining Webflow. At Webflow, Yvonne leads all of the accounting, financial planning, business operations, legal, corporate, and tax compliance teams. And so without further ado, here's Yvonne Makarov. VP of Finance at Webflow. Well, thanks for joining me on The Backbone this morning and really excited for this conversation. But before we get started, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks. Well, let's dive into it, starting first with your career journey. Prior to joining Webflow, you started your career at PwC and took the plunge into tech as a controller at SmugMug. You spent almost eight years there, including going through the acquisition of Flickr. And so I want to go back through your career journey and how it all started for you. Yeah, it's not been a straight line for me. I am surprised where I'm at today. This was not a plan when I was in school. I actually started my education in chemical engineering, like my parents uh, grew up in Russia. And so I spent three years there, but decided to transfer and came to BYU, where in American education system, you can actually choose your major and you can pick between several majors. And so somehow I settled on accounting. I think I took my first accounting class more as a general class and really enjoyed it. I think the part that appealed to me about accounting was the fact that it helped you understand the business better. I was always interested in the way businesses are ran and what businesses value they bring to society. So I decided to take more accounting classes and end up getting an accounting degree. And logical space for accountants is to end up in an accounting firm. So I joined PwC, actually joined on the tax side and coming to Silicon Valley and worked in tax planning. This was an interesting area for me because we helped a smaller and mid-sized and large companies scale their global operations, restructure, do intellectual property planning. And so this is an area I really enjoyed. And I was doing that for a number of years until one day by accident, I ended up at a company called SmugMug, which was in Mountain View startup and a pretty small company at the time. I was a manager at a big four at the time 
And end up at Smugmuck for lunch as a photographer. I had a project that was photography related. They invited me over. But as things go, you start asking them, how are you doing things around here? There were 100 people at the time and did not have a finance team. And it was an interesting opportunity for me because it was a space that I love. Photography is a big hobby of mine and company that was going places, that was growing and that were working on solving an interesting problem. And so pretty quickly realized it might be a good fit. I decided to take the risk, take the plunge and join company in-house because at the end of the day, this is why I went to college. I wanted to help businesses run better and grow. And to me, it seemed like a low risk proposition to go in-house and I could always go back to consulting to the big four. There's a lot of boomerangs at a big four. I ended up there and ended up staying there for over seven years. I see that time as several chapters. We helped grow finance team. We helped grow the accounting, planning, a lot of other things that typically roll up to the accounting. Then we got into scaling the business through M&A. This was the last two, three years that I was there and uh, became part of the growth strategy. Ended up uh, acquiring Flickr, which was almost a bucket wish list for me because my journey as a photographer started on Flickr um, back in the day when Flickr was a startup. So experienced a lot of great time there. And then after seven years, it was time for me to try um, another business, a different model, different connection of people. And so in February of 2020, a month before the pandemic, I joined Webflow in a very similar role as the first finance hire. Um, a very similar stage company was about 100 plus people just raised their first big round of funding. And the goal is, again, scale the finance team and scale the business. That's awesome. When you say it wasn't a linear path, it definitely rings true because you just showed up for lunch at a photography meetup, essentially following your passion and your hobby. And now eight plus years later, what what a run that, that you had at, at SmugMug. And tell me a little bit about Webflow, the company that you joined recently, what it is, what the company does and what it's all about. Yeah, there were a lot of things that appealed to me at Webflow when I was first introduced to the founders and um, investors at Webflow was that it was a similar space dealing with creative people, create businesses that were in that space. Webflow is a visual development platform for producing professional websites. And company started in 2013 with an idea that building software for the web is hard. To this day, most of the software that's being built for the web what runs the web is built with the code. And Vlad, the founder, had this idea early on, actually, when he was still in college, that there's a better way to build things. We think of Webflow, if you think about what Excel did for data analysis and how easy it is to do for anybody, kids can do data analysis in Excel, or for example, what animation software did for the movie industry and creators with Pixar taking off now most of the animation. I think all of animation is being created in software and in a visual way. We're working on the way to allow anybody create powerful, modern, and interactive websites with no code. So that's the main value proposition of Webflow. Got it. That's awesome. Joining a company just prior to the pandemic starting, how has that experience been like and onboarding into a company during that time? Very interesting, very unexpected. I did have one month of normal C, so to speak. I was going to the office in San Francisco for about a month and meeting people in person. And then, as you remember, middle of March, we all went home. And so it was very interesting. I think most for everybody, especially in our field profession, finance, I just went back to the model. We, we already at the time built our first model. We actually approved the company wide budget, first company-wide budget uh, at the February, at the end of February board meeting in 2020. 
And like most uh, teams, we had to toss that budget out the window a month Hmm. later and say, okay, well, let's see what happens now. And for the rest of the year, we were operating in a very flexible way, looking very carefully at our metrics, um, at our business model, and thinking about different contingency, not knowing where business was going to go initially. For us, business actually accelerated during the pandemic, and it hasn't slowed down as people finding Webflow is one of the key part of their tech stack and how mm-hmm. they're building today together with Zoom, Slack, etc. And so for us, it's been good, but also we had to be very, very flexible and look at numbers every day. So it was very interesting to start during that time and not do what I thought I was going to do in the first year, but really <laughs> trying to navigate the pandemic, which became the focus my first year at Webflow. That's great. And switching gears now a little bit to maybe what you did think you would spend your first year on, talk to me about uh, pricing models for SMB SaaS companies. And so let's start with your time at SmugMug, I think, which offers a 14-day trial period before converting users to a paid plan. And then we come to the pricing model of Webflow, where you've got a forever free plan. Uh, So uh, a traditional freemium model. As the finance leader in the unique position that you have, where you've seen both of these different approaches to SMB pricing, how would you think about pricing models that are trial-based like SmugMug versus freemium, which is one of the tiers on Webflow? There's... A lot of similarity. There are also some of a lot of some of the key differences in the um, both models. I think the ultimate goal is the same: is to get people to use your product and monetize those users as a business. And the difference is timing. So with freemium model, you have years sometimes to monetize your users, and you should be able to afford to keep them there because. With freemium model, you typically give them access to a part of your product, but the access is unlimited. So they can be building on your platform or using your platform for a very, very long time before they pull out their credit card and join your users as a paid user. With trial, you have a very limited time. So we lived in a two-week model. You often see 30-day trial, but they don't tend to last past that. But you give them full access to your product. So it goes back to two things. A... How quickly do you want to monetize these users? Because with trials, you have a limited uh, time and you tend to have higher conversion rates. So it's normal to see 10 to 20% conversion rate on, from the free trial, especially if we had what's popular now. You don't see anymore the model where you have to give your credit card in the beginning. Most of the businesses make it very easy, friction-free. So they allow you to use the product uh, without uh, the credit card. And that's the model we used. And it's normal to see 10 to 20% conversion there where with freemium, you can have millions of users. And that's what it often takes is many millions of users on your platform using it for free in order for you to have a sustainable business that's growing, but it's also uh, profitable eventually. Uh, Freemium models tend to be profitable for not for a very long time. They remain unprofitable for a very long time. It goes back to your go-to-market strategy. What is it? And also your fundraising strategy. At SmugMug, a uh, key difference was that we were a bootstrapped company. So we were mm. uh, limited in how we were funded. We had to right. uh, be funded sort of by users. Where at Webflow, more traditionally venture-backed and also very different cost structure because there's uh, SmugMug was all about storage. So we had lower gross margins where Webflow is really all about the product. So very high mm-hmm. gross margin. So you can take 
your time monetizing those users. So these are the key differences the way I think about freemium versus free trial. That makes sense. And and we'll talk a little bit about Webflow's venture financing a little bit later. But before we do in a trial-based pricing model, uh, what are the, the metrics that you're trying to optimize for versus in a truly freemium model from your seat as the finance leader? The metrics you're looking at are pretty similar. It goes back to your user lifecycle. So you talk about acquisition, you're acquiring users, and you talk about conversion. This is, again, I'm talking about the difference in timing. Conversion can take a really long time with freemium users, conversion to paid. You look at engagement, that's the similar in both scenarios. You have to see, are your users engaged during your trial or during the freemium or are they leaving the platform? And then past the conversion to paid, then you look at retention. Uh, and you think about monetization. Those are some of the key things. What we looked at, and this is where I have to understand your business well, what are these key leading indicators that show you that user is most likely to convert to a paid user? At SmugMug, this was a photography storage platform. So what we looked at, we knew that if somebody in free trial took the time to upload photos, Mm -hmm. it will most likely convert to a paid user. So we knew that this was a very important metric for us, that they started uploading photos in a free trial. So we optimized, we made uploading as easy as possible, as frictionless as possible, asking to do that as a first thing, because we knew that they're going to see their photos online and they're going to be able to build a gallery. They're going to start organizing them. They're going to convert because they would love the product. Um, At Webflow, we look at things like projects. Are they starting working on the project in the freemium model? They can work on a project and start building it? And Mm -hmm. is there traffic that's coming to their website? And that's what we call activation. And so they become activated, they start using the product. These users will more likely to convert. We're trying to uh, do all that we can to help them start the project, to help them build, to help them activate. So those are the key things. And you have to know what is that key driver for your users to get to paid. Right. And it varies from business to business, as you uh, outlined just That's now. right. If yeah. Every different business model, you can even have a business in the same industry, but it could be different things that drive them to right. remain on your platform and to get to know and love your product. Totally. So since joining Webflow, you, you've helped the company raise $140 million Series B round at a $2.1 billion valuation, raising from funds like Excel and Silversmith. As a company, you've seen your average contract values or ACV for larger accounts are several orders of magnitude bigger than your sales agreements with SMBs. At the time that you raised, uh, Vlad, who you mentioned is, is Webflow's CEO, announced that these enterprise customers only account for around 5% of the business, a segment that started in 2020. So early segment and accounts for a small percentage of the business today. As a SaaS company focused on the SMB market, when should you consider moving up market like Webflow is starting to do? What considerations and adjustments do you have to make as the finance leader to prepare for that change? There are several questions you should ask yourselves about moving up market. As first of all, is the product, what is your customer? What's your target customer at the end? What are your customer segments? Who is actually buying and staying on your platform? And I think that really the biggest question is, Are we talking about consumers? Are we talking about SMBs? Are we talking about businesses 
medium size, large size. So you look at your data, you look at who are the current customers and you start talking to them. What we did at Webflow, we started our move to enterprise. Enterprise SKU is fairly new for our platform, but the number of customers is growing very rapidly. We're signing new enterprise customers every week on the proper enterprise agreements and the average contract value is growing fast over time too. We decided to move, we decided just to try it. We looked at our data, we looked at who our customers were. Are there customers with, say, Adobe.com? Are there customers with Amazon.com email addresses? Are they actively using the product? How are they using the product? And we just started picking up the phone and just calling them and say, hey, can you tell us what is your use case for Webflow? What does a Webflow currently has that you love? And the key question was, what does the Webflow does not yet have that you need in order for you to use the product more? And when we started them, what are they need? And consumers have very different needs than businesses. Businesses, mm -hmm. especially as they also grow, they want guarantees for their service, especially if they're relying to you on something as key as, as handling their .com presence online. And so that's what we started doing. We just started talking to them. And it turns out that they wanted the usual things that enterprise customers want. They wanted a custom contract. They wanted custom terms in that contract. They wanted uh, support that's at an extra level. They wanted to have a one person that they could call anytime during the day and ask them to help fix a problem on their site, on, mm -hmm. their, on their web presence. What features do they want? And it turns out they want things like multi-language support. Then we started talking to them and we would ask them what's they're missing in the product or in the service. So guaranteed level of support, customer contract, that's a, a master services agreement, MSA. A lot of customers these days care about privacy with the GDPR mm -hmm. out there, laws ruling the day. The other thing, you ask yourselves, is the product ready to go up market? Do you have a team that will support it? Are your founders excited about serving businesses? Very different mm -hmm. needs, very different way to approach the business. And do you have the right team in place? Are you able to build custom features that businesses are going to ask right away? Mm -hmm. And do you have a legal team that can support uh, move up market? Do you have accounting systems that can support move up market? So these are some of the questions you start asking yourselves. And you start building that if that's what you really want and if that's where your business is going and that's who you're building the product for. And so really getting uh, pulled up market by looking at the usage patterns of your existing users in the traditional SMB segment that you started. But then to your point, like seeing a bunch of Adobe or Amazon email addresses and saying, hey, like, how are these customers using it? And then realizing, oh, there's maybe an application there for more of a being pulled up market. That That's makes right. a lot of sense. Now that you're kind of in both segments, right? You're in SMB, you're in enterprise. What are the leading industries? indicators or metrics that you track for each segment? I think for us, as with most SaaS subscription as a service businesses, we look at things like net retention. So how long are they staying in there? For us, it's always one of the key metrics is that we want them to stay, but we also want them to expand over time. So we want them to use higher level SKUs. We want them to use more of our service and we want them to stay over a period of time because it's expensive to acquire customers and you want them to be there. We look at overall number of customers. That's important too. How many are joining? We obviously look at conversion rates. We look at what is our churn look like mm -hmm. and who are the customers in what segments are we seeing higher churn and how can we improve that? Or is it worth improving churn in that segment if our 
other segment is the key for our future growth, right. our current growth. So we look at those things. I think the metrics that we look at are pretty standard across the types of businesses as ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're uh, constantly trying to think and ask ourselves, what's the most important thing to focus on right now? And what metrics should we improve? Because you can't improve all of them at once. And right. so um, you start looking and choosing that way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Last question now before we jump into our quick fire round, and that is what is the biggest misconception about the finance function within growth stage software companies like Webflow? And I think you'll have some unique perspective here because you were the first finance hire at uh, SmugMug and then also now at Webflow. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I think the biggest misconception that, especially when you start early and you start the finance team, is that we're here to say no. And that's what people think when they see their first finance hire and they see their first finance officer joining the company. But the reality is we're actually here to help you to get to yes. When it comes to business decisions, when it comes to expanding into new markets, expanding into new products, growing the business and do it in such a way that really helps. Do it with the data, The other thing that the finance team does, we're very cross-functional. We work with all teams. We partner up with everybody across the company. So besides the data, we're also able to bring the viewpoints and the pain points of other teams that we're hearing about. Mm -hmm. And we work with multiple stakeholders. Likewise, I work all day long with the executive team. I work with the investors and I work with other teams across and they all have different needs and different ones. And you try to bring it together. And the ultimate goal is the same is Mm -hmm. to get to yes and accelerate the business and win together. So I think that's the biggest thing that you have to win in first when you come into the business, that you're there to be a partner rather than somebody that closes the gate, closes the door. You're there to open the doors and to help things move faster. I love that way of thinking instead of getting to or being a no person is how do we get to yes. Uh, I love that way of thinking. What I'd love to do now is jump into our quick fire round. The way this works is I'll ask you a few questions. You have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How's that sound? Sounds all right. great. Let, let's do it. What's your go-to online resource for all things finance related? I think I spend most of my time just reading Wall Street Journal every day and getting up to speed with the news in the business world. Nice. What's your favorite uh, productivity hack? What I do every day when I start my day, I write the most important thing that day. And as things come, as I start getting into my day, I go back to the list and I go back to my notes and try to remind myself, what's the thing that I need to ship today? And I hold myself responsible to that day on shipping them at the end of the day. And, And I know that no matter how the day goes, because especially these days, our days can get derailed very quickly. I still Mm -hmm. remember what's the most important thing that I got to get done today. And that makes me feel great at the end of the day. Nice. I like that. What's one thing then you don't leave your home office before finishing? I guess it's going back to that list and making sure you've shipped that or maybe something else. I can't leave. I can't close my computer until all my Slack DMs are cleared. Hmm. So I just have to do it. I have to get back to everybody. Even if I can't answer that question, I'll say I'm looking into it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Just feel like for whatever reason, I have to do that before I go off. Yeah, no, I've started to hear more and more of that. People used to talk about getting to inbox zero, but now I think a lot of people also talk about getting to, I guess, Slack zero or having addressed all, all their DMs. So I like that. One jargon that makes you cringe. In general, acronyms, 
especially when I'm talking to somebody that might not be in my space or I'm talking to somebody that is not in finance. I try not to use acronyms, even though I have used several of them as we chatted. Uh, but the tricky thing about acronyms, is you just assume people understand what you're talking about and they know what they mean. But most people are afraid to ask and stop you and interrupt. And, and so a lot of the times you're not speaking a common language using acronyms. So mm -hmm. um, I try to sway away from that, from company, acronyms from SAS, from SAS, <laughs> I'm doing this now, from finance acronyms, industry, etc. So because you just never know if people understand right. what you're talking about. Totally. And what's the best advice you've received so far in your career? I think for me, and I've heard this early, is that feedback is a gift. Hmm. So I welcome feedback when it comes, I really listen to understand. Feedback is about perceptions, the way people perceive you and your work. And so I'm trying to understand where it's coming from. And I also ask for feedback often. People are afraid to give feedback. They're afraid to offend you or they're afraid to derail you, etc. But I ask for it often and I'm persistent enough that I can get real feedback. So questions like, how did you think it went? When I did a presentation, I always ask the key stakeholders, how useful was it to you? If I'm not getting a clear answer, I can just ask them, just tell me one to 10, how did that presentation land to you and how can I improve it next time? And that mm -hmm. last question is key because people want to see improvement and they want to see when you ask that question, they know that they can be helpful and they'll always give you good feedback. And as a result, you're going to deliver better work next time. You're going to become a better individual as a result of that feedback. I love that. Well, Yvonne, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it taking us behind the scenes of your career journey from SmugMug to now Webflow, telling us a little bit about Webflow and what it does, talking to us about the difference in SMB or for you, small and medium-sized businesses, just to make sure we're not using acronyms for software companies, the difference between freemium and trial-based pricing structures, as well as talking about how companies should think about moving up market if they started in small and medium-sized businesses and then moving to enterprise, what are the factors and considerations they should be thinking about? So it was a lot to cover, but I'm really glad uh, we got some time to, to chat with you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Take care. Bye. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.